0: Welcome to Smart Creation, the podcast, an invitation to explore the potential of sustainable fashion. Every other Wednesday, Adrian, your host, talks to key players in the fashion industry to discover new products and understand the challenges behind offering more responsible fashion and learn the solution available today. This podcast is brought to you by Première Vision, the leading event organizer for fashion professionals. To find out more, go to www.premiervision.com. Discover and enjoy.
1: Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to Smart Creation, the podcast. Today, I am welcoming Leonor Garnier. She is a sustainability project manager at the Fédération de la Haute Couture, de la Mode Hello, Leonore. How are you?
2: Hi, Adriel. Thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure. Um... Today I would like to start uh, with very, with my very first question is is could you please introduce yourself and uh, explain me what is your role uh, as the sustainability project manager for the Fédération de la Haute Couture et de la Mode.
2: Sure. Um so my job is at the Federation, we are a trade association. We bring together creative and luxury houses. Um and so as a trade association, we both represent our members but also um uh, provide them support in any topics. And my job is to create and enhance collective action on sustainability. Um, the federation is probably most famous for its Paris Fashion Week and Haute Couture Week that we coordinate. Um, so part of the, the job is also to, uh, make sure that we help them in co-designing events. Um, but it's also on any other topics on, on policies.
1: Fantastic. What did you do before joining, uh, uh, la Fédération de la Haute Couture et de la Mode.
2: Oh, I'm a very proud alumni from Institut Français de la Mode um, and very close to uh, to, to this uh, family um, of the, the fashion world. But before that, I actually studied in uh, economics and business in, in Trinity College, Dublin. Um, and what's interesting in, in the background that I have and, and how it led me to, to the fashion today is, is sort of that I entered through um, the, the lens of color and, and textile dyeing. And so when I I'm very firm passionate of products and of textiles in general and how it got into that is just because when you look at a product and when you look at textiles you get interested into how they're made and how they're beautifully made and especially on the color that are applied and so i wanted to have um to work for an industry and um, that was creative innovative um and that had a, a very colorful industry so um mm. yeah
1: Fantastic. What is your definition of sustainability, um, sustainable fashion, sustainability? Uh, it's, it's always a, a term I, I like my, um, my uh, guests to, 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 to give an, um, um, a definition, sorry.
2: Um, it's funny because sustainability, I think it's probably the most common question that I'm being asked in general when I have to explain the job that I'm doing, even though it's such a common word. And even more when we talk about sustainable, sustainable fashion. I'm not going to go into the philosophical debate on is it an oxymoron, is it possible or not. The hmm. question is that um, sustainability is a constraint. We're facing a huge climate crisis uh, in general that is way too big and it goes beyond any industry. And so to think that it has to be linked to fashion is just a, a given and it's a prerequisite. It's not something that we can associate or, or not. What I find interesting though is because we, if we link it with fashion and what does it mean, it means that it has to be um, relevant Durable, persistent, circular, and all those kind of big words, but that truly means something when we talk about a creative industry, because creative, like creativity, it's meant to be more innovative, to think differently. And I think sustainability, because we have this constraint, means um, thinking, have a different approach. And by essence, I think fashion can be avant-garde, can be um, forward on on trends. Um, and in that regard I think it because it's such it's so contemporary has to incorporate some environmental and social um, uh, challenges
1: okay um, can you provide an overview of the main sustainability initiatives that the Federation uh, has implemented to help brands uh, become more responsible
2: Um so Federation it's a it's a tricky um, uh, organization because we're an industry association so mm. we have a two-way approach on one way it's both promoting and supporting um, action of our brands and sort of providing support towards sustainability, as well as having a bottom-up approach where some houses, um, whether they're big, large, or um, mature or not, um, have a project that they want to test, perhaps scale up, and share knowledge amongst other members. So for the last four years that I've been in the Federation, and because we had this working group that we commonly call um, Commission for Innovation and, and Sustainability where we bring together all the um, sustainability experts and public affair experts of um, the federation members of the executive committee, so big luxury groups um, we we sort of started with a common project um, on that was the link amongst all our members on Paris Fashion Week so it's kind of like the starting point was how can we improve the events that we're organizing, we're all doing it and it's probably the most Visual or the most uh, the, the type of event that has the most impact on um, people. Um, so we created an eco design tool for um, to measure the environmental, social, and social em- performance of those events. But I would say that was one of the first projects. Mm. Then the second one, it's because recently there's been such an intense few years on French and European policies with the European strategy for textiles. Uh, with the e p r due diligence substantiating green claims and so on um, we're really trying to um enhance the the, the um, or the the influence that we should have over those policies and as well as making sure that all sustainable products become the norm and that's really the um the idea behind the strategy that's called eco design for sustainable product regulation and last but not least, I would say the third um initiative that Federation tries to carry on to um, its houses is to learn from them, but also to provide support to them, whether it's through financial support. So for small emerging designers, it's through uh, subsidies um, for innovative projects, but also through peer learning or through trainings. And actually something that I'm really proud of this year that we launched is a new training um, scheme on different topics on sustainability, whether it's material sourcing, certification, life cycle assessment and a brand new that we're um, cleaning off is on eco-scenography as well so also on fashion events
1: eco-scenography um, what, what is, a, what is a, a sustainable show then yeah tell me
2: a sustainable show well I think first of all when you think about a show by it's an artificial event so there will be some people coming in traveling to the event um, there will be some elements of scenography and materials so any event whether it's sports cinema, a f- music festival will have an impact. And I think we have to come to face that anything that we do that are, that is handmade or that is man-made has an impact, same as mm. a product. The question, the real question of what is a sustainable show is what's its relevance? Um, can we do better? Can we improve them? Can we um, um, sort of uh, optimize the materials that we're using and the people that are going to an event? So the most sustainable event, it's probably the one that has the most shared or rented materials where people don't just go to the event but go during a week of events. So Paris Session Week in that regard um, can help um, sort of mutualize the, the cost and the cost, financial cost and environmental cost as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and just thinking of enhancing re- reuse of materials so when I was looking at during the analysis of the Paris Fashion Week, yes, shows are opulent. They're very extravagant. They're a moment of, of a show where music, art, culture, political means all brought together on one moment. And that's what makes it so special. But behind that, there is so much work that can be done and that has been done on just making sure that all the materials that we're using are relevant are useful for the purpose that we're using it and then have a second life or a third life or fourth life whatever um so a sustainable show in a nutshell is just a show that has a meaning and that can be and everything that is used um has another purpose
1: is there any um uh, low constraints uh that um that tell you what to do with the show or, or it's, it's not uh, regulated? yet
2: um, so, so far, the regulation, it's just, for example, on, on waste policies and et cetera. There's a lot, a number of, of standards um, and norms that, that uh, all our houses have to abide by. Um, in terms of what we recommend, um, because two years ago, we launched, um, sort of a tool. It's called a sustainable tool for co design practices that we called STEP, S T E P. So it's mm-hmm. Ash Step or whatever pun you can think of. Um and oh, fashion step forward. Um and the aim of this tool is to kind of help brands realize and evaluate the environmental and social performance of their uh, of their fashion events. And then for us at the fashion at the federation level, it's to consolidate results and make sure that um we know what are the major hotspots where there's room for improvement, where maybe perhaps some um are le- a little bit less important, less impactful. Um, and I often come up with the example that in the consumer's mind or in the audience's mind, there is the real impact um, and there is the perceived impact. Hmm. Perceived impact is a plastic bottle, single-use plastic bottle that is seen on a show or anything that's sort of single plastic. That has a very high impact on, on the perception of the audience and will be seen as there's no efforts on the circular approach, on the waste, et cetera. And there's a real impact of someone who will, for example, I don't know, come to only one show in a private jet or um, maybe just just um, in terms of travel uh, travel, or have a taxi on their own and, and etc. Or maybe lack of efficiency in terms of mounting and dismounting materials or last minute changes, etc. All in all, the impact of a show is it's interesting just to help you monitor and pilot the, its impact. And the last thing that I want to say on shows, and could and you go back on your question on sustainable shows, everything, like anything, is done at the moment of the briefing. So when the designer has an idea, whether it's amazing, marvelous, opulent, extravagant, huge, it will have, no matter what you can do, it will have quite a big impact. If you're thinking of a designer who just wants one single lighting, no seating, everyone standing up, no carpet, just one light obviously the the impact of the show will be much would be much lower than than the previous show so it's all everything has to do with the initial briefing and what's important is that there's enough training and I mentioned the word ecocenography it's maybe more of a new word and now but it's it's interesting that both designers as well as um, technical teams, um, production teams, and marketing teams are all trained to know where there's a compromise that can be done so that at, at any moment of the uh, tree of decision, you can make the right decision. And at every moment of the value chain, in order to to make sure that what you're using, it's relevant and has hmm.
1: a Fantastic. Um, can we deep dive in, in other initiatives that uh, the Federation has implemented? Um, you mentioned, what, what was the other one you mentioned?
2: So perhaps the second one, and that's probably the one has the most impact today, is on substanti- substantiating green claims. Okay. Uh, why? Because it means that in France and searching in the coming years in Europe, all products will have to show a score of environmental footprint. Okay, Um, and it means that all products uh, will have to go through a calculation of its environmental impact.
1: When is the due date for this implementation?
2: So in France, uh, it was going to become voluntary in 2024. So they already started with the um, anti-waste law, where you have to show the products, uh, the traceability, um, traceability on products for three, uh, the last three steps of the production, and in 2024 it's voluntary approach and then very likely to be um, compulsory mandatory by 2025 and on European at the European level most likely 2027 around like that Uh, the real question is okay to be mandatory but what do we want to show?
1: Yeah. Are we ready? Yeah.
2: Are we ready? Uh, What's the difference between um, sharing information to consumers and actually measuring it and piloting the performance the environmental performance of a product from a company perspective. And those information can be quite different. On okay. one way, it's informing. And the other is editating.
1: So where are we at the moment?
2: Where are we? I'm at the <laughs> French level. No, it's, yeah, that's the question I probably have the most from both brands or even from family or close ones. Um, because they're quite, a cushioning, quite impatient. Why does it take so long? because there are so many different scenarios and um, variables within the product.
1: Mm. As
2: you know, there's a yarn, and the fabric, then there's a color, then there's the production, etc. So many variables that when they are brought together, there needs to be one single method to evaluate uh, the environmental performance of, of products. So for us at the Federation, we for the last three years, we've been representing designers' brands in uh, in a European instance that's called the Technical Secretariat that was mandated by the European Commission to work on, amongst many other brands, on one single referential measuring the product's footprint. Um, of course, there are some limits and the most limits that we're working towards making a single method for an average product on the market. So the average product is probably closer to a primary product than from um, a really tall product obviously in terms of volumes it's so different but in this regards i would say there are key learnings that from the from the pilots that we run there are four of them the first one the learning is working on traceability so traceability is the absolute cornerstone of any environmental and social performance and it's only through data and data analysis that you can calculate uh, any um, any any product footprint as well as um, just knowing better your products and challenging your suppliers. The second learning is making sure that the method uh, shows products that are differentiated depending on their environmental performance with regards to their lifetime, potential lifetimes, and the function, the associated function. So making sure that, I don't know, um, a waterproof jacket um, is durable because it's going to remain waterproof it's not to say that underwear just needs to be washed every single like uh, after one single use and needs to be very resistant to um tumble to tumble wash for example Third learning is understanding what durability means and then it needs to be considered holistically so it's kind of a big word to say that it needs a durable products is both from a resistance um point of view from wear and sit and and it has intrinsic um, properties, but it also has extrinsic properties with its associated value and the attachment, um, whether it's due to the commercial practices, the value associated to the brand, what it is, what it's not, etc. So third learning, it's grasping durability, and I would say that's probably the trickiest part. And the last but not least, the fourth learning is combining it with the social performance. And today, and especially in France with the legislation where they kind of started with the environmental and putting social on the side, um, we don't hear enough of what are the social risks on the value chain. How can we associate for a consumer who doesn't make the difference between harming the environment and the planet and harming people and who wants to see the same information at the same time? Um, what's tricky is that today I would say that we're sort of catching up on social performance uh, and evaluating the social risk for many companies. Um, and it, it's easy for me to say because I'm at a federation level, so I I, see, I oversee things. But I would say that social, um, social performance in general and social labeling really needs to, um, to catch up because consumers are asking for, for both information.
1: Hmm. So how does the federation assist um, brands in integrating these initiatives in their daily operation? Do you, do you have a, do you have a grip on them?
2: Um so as the uh, the federation I'm in a very privileged situation where I'm we are sort of the tower the control tower of designers and and, and luxury brands. Um so I don't have a strict um, way of how to provide support. We have one working group with the um, sustainability directors and public affairs directors of LVMH, Chanel, Hermès, Caring in and more recently of Richemont through Chloe. So it's a very interesting group and we meet up every, I don't know, month and a half, six weeks. And it, I've never seen so much collaboration between brands. So to help them, it's probably animating that working group and making sure there's a lot of learning within those companies, um, within those brands. And then, as I mentioned to, ha- you saying you're asking me how to measure them. It's tricky to measure the progression of, any brands on sustainable fashion, just because the starting point was so different and the business model, even uh, for luxury brands, can be so different. What I can measure though, it's from my short experience at the the Federation still, is I've never seen so much cooperation in the industry on this topic. I I could probably explain it by in, in two ways. The first one, it's because I can share the same opinion, The environmental crisis is just too big for anyone. We need to address those challenges collectively, uh, with means of like there and with the means at the level of those challenges. So alone, we can't do anything. And so, brands know that, and any citizen (laughs) of the earth knows this. The second reason, it's probably something that's kind of unspoken, and I I think it's quite an honest answer is that luxury brands are intimately bound with the with reputation risks. If anything happens to one of them, it's not just the brand that has a reputation risk. It's the entire sector of the luxury sector in general. And as such, if anything happens, they need to work to, together to avoid bre- breaking the sort of a faith contract they have with their consu- uh, cust- customers. And that's something that's kind of unspoken role amongst brands. But because they're so linked to one another with very similar um, commitments and engagements, that's something that really, it's a real drive for collaboration. And wh- that's why it's so interesting and so important that we bring both super big historical houses with emerging designers as well because they will have the same issues at different levels, but they're learning so much from them and they need to collaborate to make the 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 culture, the artistic, the creative industry stronger.
1: Fantastic. Um, as a, um, c- can you provide an example of of a brand or a collection that has truly embraced eco design?
2: Um, well. There are many brands actually that are rethinking the way they're doing collections, and I think yeah. the most interesting ones are to to mention all the emerging brands. Uh, why? Because they're the ones who have, due to their uh, sort of lack of economic means by their youth, have to think differently, and they're using sustainability not just because, yes, they're from a younger generation, so probably they won't have. More, um, been more aware of what's happening around, it, around them. But it's also because due to their economic shortage, they have to think of a, a plan B. Um, I think they're incredibly creative and they're the ones who have a voice, have a political voice as well, a cultural voice on many different aspects. And that's why we look so much old fashioned. It's because it's, it's a language. And so if I have an example, my favorite examples will always go on. The most creative ones on upcycling. And I know that you already talked on one of the podcasts and he's a dear friend. Uh, Germainier, for example, who's a terrific example of making something from waste to, uh, something that's incredibly creative. That's one example. But I also love examples of, uh, one of our partner from La Reserve des Arts who works on reusing materials on fashion events to the creative industry. That's another event, another way of upcycling. Uh, and something that's also really interesting is not just the brands that can't necessarily reuse and, and their own products, but who are also investing in other very meaningful projects. So without advertising for any big groups, but the fact that they're putting so much money on foundations, on charities, on association is so key today to drive change. And especially if it goes to any schooling system, education, because that's how you're going to drive change.
1: Fantastic, Um, of course, of course. As a key player in the fashion industry, can you can fashion be sustainable according to you? (laughs) Yeah I think you already um um, answered this this question but I wanted to uh to underline it again. Um what are you what are your hopes and expectations um from this industry?
2: Well hopes and expedition, I, I think it's drive change collectively and faster. Um I often like to quote the Ursula de Castro's book when it's called Loved Clothes Last. Um I think when you love your clothes and they're relevant to you and they're beautifully made, you're just gonna keep them, repair them, renew them and transmit them to share them with your close ones and you know, perhaps transmit them to your children and to their to the grandchildren. So My big hope is just that we reconnect again, or I don't know if it's reconnect or connect. Maybe it's the first time with what we're wearing, what we apply on our, our, on our skin, um, in order to love our clothes and, and cherish them. My expectation is that we learn how, what's the value of, uh, of products. And I, my real fear really, and that's why it's a big expectation is that today we think of, uh, um, Garments as something very ephemeral that we can access so easily online on in store anywhere we go on holiday spots or on, uh, in a city or even anywhere where we are, we can also always access to a textile product at a very cheap, um, value. And my issue here is that because it can be such a spontaneous purchase and such a, 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 a an, an easy purchase that we can, um, remove um, and then we can just trash, is that we don't associate any value to it. I can't even tell you what's the right price of a T-shirt today because I would have said minimum, as any consumer, I would have said there's a minimum, there's a maximum. I'll try to buy it at the average. But today, the minimum price of a product has decreased so much recently in the past few years, and especially with new business models um, that you know of ultra fashion that I'm not going to decide It's so tricky today that even the price, the lowest price, is decreasing. Hmm. So as a consumer, what do I buy? Do I just lower down the average and the value that I associate to my products?
1: What do you buy, Leonor? (laughs) (laughs) What is the last one you bought?
2: Um, The last one that I bought, actually, for the very first time, I rented a dress from De Okay. And I'm super happy about this uh, rental. I I love the dress. It has a terrific impact, and I'm super happy to give it back and to actually know that someone else will wear it again. And it was a super easy process. And I I have to say I was quite reluctant because as a textile lover, I just love the touch and the feel of keeping products. And I wear my parents' clothes. From I wear my dad's uh, (laughs) shirts and trousers and et cetera. And so I'm such a firm believer in keeping stuff. I I, I love keeping stuff. So, mm, Renting is great. And the second purchase that I actually purchased, I did was again on in a trip shop and I bought a, a skirt suit. Um, but there are so many things that has such a history. And, and I think to go back on loving your clothes and on associating the value, it's so cool to say, to think that there's a history behind the product that you're buying. And then someone else has loved it and, and, and worn it for an occasion and you're wearing it again. It's part of the history of the.
1: Mm. Uh, what advice would you give to brands or designers who wish to make their practice more sustainable?
2: Um, I don't think designers... Design will always remain ahead of the curve. They're contemporary by essence. They're, as I mentioned, they even avant-garde. Um, they're the voice and the spirit of the times today with a very strong artistic, cultural, um, and somehow um, political message. So my advice to, to, to designers is to keep themselves curious and informed. My intuition from what I can experience on day-to-day is that there is a serious lack of training on sustainability matters and awareness. So it's not just on people who are doing the sourcing, product sourcing or on on makers, so on anyone who's a um, textile weaver or yarn uh, maker, etc., uh, or yarn spinner. It's that all decisions are made at the rec- creative brief and during the process of the product design and there needs to be better education. So my advice here is raise uh, raise awareness, be curious, learn about what is sustainable, what does it mean, and really associate the right material and the right product to the right people, to the right use. Um, so my advice to designers is keep being creative, but don't overdo it.
1: Of course. Um, I know it's, it's, it's not really part of your of your area but um you know all of those um, clients i mean all your all the brands who are at the federation uh, their main market is based in uh, in asia or in the us or, or abroad actually um to what extent the international customer are are, are ready to 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 uh, to listen to what you just mentioned uh, um, a, a few question uh, uh, before on um you know um uh, uh, i mean a garment that lasts is a garment that you love um are are we are we there at at uh anywhere anywhere in the world
2: i think it's an excellent question and you're right because it's easy for me from my chair to say you should do this and that uh, from a european perspective where we have regulations and policies that are coming into place so we'll have to adjust um on different markets, each market is quite different. And I have to admit that the um, American market, I don't think is ready at all to hear any um, speeches on sustainability because their legislation is so far behind, because they're not trained. And again, such a pure a lack of awareness of uh, environmental matters regard on the fashion industry. So for sure, there is a real struggle Same goes for um, emerging uh, countries and obviously China isn't necessarily emerging anymore, but on other other markets. What my hope is, and to go back to what are my hopes expectations, is that in any civilization, there is a very strong uh, link with um, craftsmanship and with textile in general. And when we speak about China and same as American cotton and so on, there are still so many people who are very intimately linked to the history of their country and you're still are going to find some value to the products that they wear. So, um, an international customer that is traveling and it is a struggle because today we're making clothes in Europe. They're being sold in China, but probably to someone who's traveling all around the world. So whatever they want to dispose of them, they're not necessarily going to dispose of them in the country that they bought the, the garment, but anywhere else. So we have to think internationally, not just because of the value changes, because people travel so much. Um, but because even though it might not touch or affect the, the, the communication that we do in, in creative and luxury, it might not affect the, the consumer at the end, the fact that the information is available and why the brand has so much value and why value, economic value, but attachment value, will mean that um, brand, but consumers will love them, their clothes more and especially on brands. And the reason, if you look at them. So there's a a brand equity index and the ones that the top top rankers are actually sports brands. They're like Nike, Adidas and so on, which may sound surprising. They have much more than, you know, a luxury brand. Um, But they are because they're such a big part of the culture and people love their clothes. So then they're always going to have a value in them. So even though you're international, everyone can understand to love their clothes and to um, cherish them, and to make sure that they last longer. The environmental, unfortunately, it's just going to come with education.
1: Hmm. All right, let, let's move to the rapid fire question section. Um, what would you like to close the door in our industry?
2: I think we said it already. ultra fashion, without a doubt, and hmm. instead of lacking value on, on products and applying to uh, to to their products. I'm not saying we should banish. Uh, we should ban. Um, all um, cheap products, that's definitely not the case, and it needs to be accessible for everyone. But just whatever the price, just making sure that the product that you purchase has value. And I would say that it's it goes hand in hand-in-hand with enhancing uh, education and just knowing more about products, reading labels, knowing what you're wearing and what materials exist.
1: Hmm. Where do you seek to get um, inspired? Uh, what do you seek inspiration, uh, or do you stay ahead of the game? Actually, do, do you is there any other industry that's are ahead of uh, of the fashion industry?
2: Sure. Um. Again, I'm so lucky and privileged to be where I am from the starting point because I think I have access to a lot of speaking with a lot of different experts with emerging designers that I think are ahead of the curve at all times, and who have an artistic approach. To, uh, the, the, the creative into the, their production process. So me, if I, where do I seek inspiration is definitely on speaking with my peers and speaking with the designers and getting experience and learn from their experience. But I, I'm really talking about hands-on entrepreneurial creative process. If you don't have that and what are the industries interesting to look at in terms of uh, green labeling, uh, as we call it, or green claims, uh, the food industry is way ahead of, of us. Even the, um, all the electronics uh, are already um, showing some scoring. Um, so I think there's, there are definitely other industries that are in, in, interesting to look at. Um, and if I want to stay informed, if I didn't have that, I would just keep myself informed looking at labels and communications. So the more you learn about the quest- and questioning what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, what you apply on your skin in terms of cosmetics and so on, Questioning this and learning more from any industry means that you will associate a stronger value and a stronger um, sensation towards and, and, and sensibility to your products. Um, and then if you're really interested, there are so many different medias. Good Goods is a great example. I often cite um, even Google that has We Wear Culture on the history of fashion and it has a terrific uh, offer on, on a lot of the history of, of fashion and on different products. And anything that just keeps you uh, keeps you entertaining and, and curious,
1: of course. Um, and one last question: um, with the personality you would like to listen uh, or to hear in this podcast on this podcast, yeah?
2: Actually, we haven't really talked about my real passion on on dying, on textile dyeing. and I think it's kind of a topic that's undermined, and that as much as we know uh, so much on different fibers, organic, recycled, and so on we very rarely speak about dyeing and about the different choices that we have and what chemicals we apply so anyone that can work on uh, wet processes uh is interesting and my favorite people that i'd love to hear because there are doers and because they're dyers would be either uh, on, on indigo especially because natural indigo is so fascinating to to see and and to uh I would say I, I want to say play with but to uh, explore and, and to uh, use is, would be David um, Saint-Andreux who is in the south of France and working with Wode um, or Aboubacar um, Fofana who is also um, a really interesting TED file diary on Indigo I'd love to hear them
1: all right will do um, is there any topics you wanted to cover we didn't cover
2: no, I think the message is clear: is trying to learn about your um, what you're wearing, um, love your clothes, and question them.
1: Sure. Thank you so much for your time, Um All the best, and have a good uh, have a good end of the day. Take care. Bye bye.
0: Hi. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast till the end. If you want to support this initiative, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you follow. <laughs> Just click on the subscribe button, rate it five stars and leave us a comment on Apple Podcast. And don't forget to share the podcast on your favorite social media. Thank you for listening to Smart Creation, the podcast, an invitation to explore the potential of sustainable fashion.